Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park eerily quiet and then my mind was kind of like you know the head in the fishbowl but it takes me into the bathroom and says this is how you brush your teeth brush rinse repeat brush rinse repeat brush rinse repeat but there were two girls and it was like you don't have to give us a ride you can't fill us no you can't refuse us he'll let us in his car thoughts were all alone in this empty void you know the head in the they got close enough where he said he could see, you know, their eyes and, and how intelligent they seem. This doesn't look right. These gremlin-type creatures. This doesn't look right. No pupils, no iris. Three fingers. Three long fingers. And this is when the mental torture. And then, and then it was eerily quiet. Oh, I gotta breathe, man. <laughs> I, I can't seem to take it every single time. Are you glad Luke's back? I, I'm very glad that Luke is back. He's drinking his, uh, he went to, we're, we're, tell him what you did today, Luke. You went out and bought a couple of new beers for yeah, yourself. Well, you know, I was tired of paying 10 to $12 per six pack. So I noticed that Aldi had a bunch of knockoff beers. And so uh, Adam and I are drinking uh, Brogle right now. Yeah. Bro- Brogle pop. <laughs> it's got like a uh it's got like a ram or something on it or the yeah, or a pretty, deer or something it's like that. It's pretty brutal. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it it tastes just like Shiner. I mean, I like Shiner, so this is this is awesome. It was $6. And what else did you get? Uh, uh some fancy French beer. <laughs> some Stella Artois. <laughs> no. Uh, no, it uh, th- it's just like Stella, but it's called Imperium. Imperium. Uh, and it, of course, it tastes just like it, dude. Like, So I'm going to Aldi from now on for all my beers. For all my Aldi, beer for needs. all your beer needs. Yes. We're, we're, we're not advertising for Aldi. Just no. want to put that no, out there. They're not paying us. Just no. Not yet. Not yet. They might not be. If we, if we, aver- we might be the only people that have actually given an organic advertisement for Brogel. <laughs> <laughs> so, There's got to be someone out there drinking Brogel, right? But you now. know, you you've got a conspiracy about that. That you think that these are the actual beers that they sell. They they put them under the other names for uh, a higher price, right? I mean, you, yeah, like you, they could sell the lower tier price beer. It's going to yeah. draw people in, want to buy it. It's the exact same beer. And then the people that are actually alcoholics going to the gas stations are like, oh, I need Shiner. So there you go. The ser- serving everybody, all the alcoholics in the world, man. <laughs> alcoholics, got to, they, they all got to band together, right? Yeah, dude. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> welcome to Conspiranormal, guys. 
It's a conspiracy. <laughs> it is a conspiracy. Everything's a conspiracy. What's up, Rob? What's up, man? Oh, not too much. Doing good. I oh, well, cold. I'm doing well. That's right. You're not doing good. You're doing well. I'm not doing well. I have a cold. Yeah, so I so I can tell. That's okay. I took a bunch of medicine and I'm drinking some wine. I don't recommend the combination. <laughs> Probably dangerous. Are you going to pass out? If we hear a thud right <laughs> in the middle of the show. That's my forehead connected as, to the microphone. As Rob hits the keyboard. <laughs> well, I mean, it, you know, in your defense, it was like, you know, 75 degrees yesterday. And then all of a sudden it turns to like below 30. Well, that's Tennessee for you. If you wait, if you wait a few, if you wait a couple of days, the the, the weather changes. Has either one of you guys seen on Netflix a show called Wormwood? I think I I didn't watch it, but I've scrolled past it. No, but I drank absinthe one time. <laughs> well, that's that's that is appropriate to the show. Yeah, that's um. I never have. I never had absinthe. It's a cool buzz. I've never had the the green fairy. Yeah, so well, I I didn't get the real stuff. You know, I, See, just, I don't. I don't know. There's a couple of hippie friends of mine that lived in like this geodesic dome in the woods that made uh-huh. it. Uh huh. Whoa. And it was you know it was warm and it tasted like an east seed and everything. And they I, they say they did it all. I don't know. And you weren't worried about being poisoned. Well, from a I bunch mean, of hippies living in a geodesic dome in the woods. <laughs> when you're in your early twenties, you can only worry about so much, you know. That's true. Well, if I die, see you guys later. Yeah, I didn't wake up blind or anything. <laughs> hey, that's well, that's a good. good. Mindset yeah. that you should never lose. Also, that's good. It's very positive that you didn't wake up dead or blind. Yeah. So there you go. So I was watching this. It's like a six-part documentary, and what it is about is it's about Frank Olson. Are you guys uh, you guys might be familiar with Frank Olson. Familiar? Not ringing a bell. Is, is going once, going twice. Right, yeah, yeah, that's that's what it is. It's the Olsen <laughs> twins. Although that could be part of the conspiracy. We talked about him with Nick Redfern back in 2014, I think. God, it might have been all the way back then. He was a... He was a scientist employed by Fort Detrick in Maryland, and he was taken somewhere to a retreat with a couple of other doctors. He was a doctor himself, and one of those was Sidney Gottlieb, who actually spiked his drink with LSD. And if about a week or so later, he goes flying out of a window from a hotel in New York City. Okay. Right, it's starting to ring a bell. All right. All right. So for the longest time, his family was told that he was a, that he was a suicide, that he was so distraught over something that that's what it, that's, that it caused him to commit suicide by jumping out this window. Later on in the seventies, when MK ultra was revealed as part of kind of like the fallout from Watergate, the CIA kind of had to admit that they were doing it. The family was told that, you know, they, they admitted that, yes, he was dosed from LSD. But it was still ruled a suicide because apparently he had had a bad effect from the LSD that lingered for that week, and he ended up committing suicide by jumping out of a window. 
Well, fast forward to the 90s when his son, Eric Olson, and that's who the documentary is about. It's primarily about his son, Eric, and his kind of quest to figure out what happened to his father. Um, It's very well done. I highly recommend the documentary. But in the 1990s, he disinterred his father because his mother had died to bury him next to his mother. Well, they did an autopsy because he always had this suspicion that something just was not right about either one of the stories, whether he committed suicide on his own or he committed suicide because the CIA gave him a spiked drink a week earlier from of LSD. And it was determined through some forensic evidence that they believed that Frank Olson was pushed out the window, that it wasn't a suicide, that it seemed like he had been hit by a blunt object before he was actually thrown out of the window. How many years later was this? Okay, the, he was the, I believe it was a murder, 1951 was when he was killed. 1994 was when they disinterred the body. Okay. So his son has just come and been on this quest for the last 20 or so years to try to figure out who was responsible for his father's death. Well, there's some interesting twists and turns through the, um, through the series. And I kind of won't give it away because it is, it is rather interesting. Um, some things about biological warfare and what might have gone on in Korea. So he finds out in a he finds out in looking at a CIA like a handbook from the 1950s a handbook from the 1950s that he was that that Throwing people out of windows was apparently a very popular means of CIA assassination in the late 40s, early 50s. Well, I mean, it's easy to make that look like a suicide. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Now, it's interesting. I was looking into a couple other things, and these are actually mentioned in the documentary, although kind of tangentially. The first person... That actually was kind of was killed. Well, actually, I don't think it was the first. I'll have to get on the dates here. But James Forrestal, the first Secretary of Defense. Okay, now he's very popular among UFO conspiracy theorists because they believe that Forrestal was killed because he was going to spill the beans on the whole UFO and alien presence. I don't think that. I think it was something else personally, but he was also, he also was at a, the, I think the Naval hospital in Washington, DC, and he actually ended up going out the window. This was in 1949, right? And the second person was a guy named Lawrence Duggan, D-U-G-G-A-N, who they actually mention in this documentary very, very briefly. So I had to look up who this guy was. But he apparently also committed suicide by jumping out a window from his New York City office. 
So interesting. So yeah, he was uh, a, he was later accused, I think, posthumously, of which means after death, of being a Soviet spy. So on December twentieth, nineteen forty-eight. So he would have been the first person chronologically on our list to be thrown out of a window. Duggan fell to his death from his office at the Institute of Inter- this is Wikipedia Institute of International Education, located on the 16th floor of a building in Midtown Manhattan. His body was discovered around 7 p.m. that evening. A few days later, the New York Police Department made public the result of its investigation, which included Mr. Duggan either accidentally fell or jumped, which in Frank Olson's case, they actually said that too. Both were in New York City, by the way. Uh, so it's interesting that that there is a uh, that there's a tie in there. Uh, now it gets even more weird because on October twentieth, nineteen forty eight, W. Marvin Smith, a U.S. Department of Justice attorney and notary with whom Alger Hiss had worked. Now Alger Hiss was a member of the State Department. Lawrence Dugan was also a member of the State Department. Both of these guys were us were both accused of being Soviet spies. Alger Hiss was a famous case that basically started off the entire communist red scare of the late forties into the early fifties. You know, like McCarthyism and all that stuff. Right. So Marvin Smith was found dead in the southwest stairwell of the then seven story Justice Building. Just after Lawrence Duggan's death, the Associated Press reported. The widow of Marvin W. Marvin Smith, Justice Department employee who died in a five-story plunge two months ago, expressed belief today that his death was simply an accident. She told a reporter she felt certain it was not a suicide and was not connected in any way with his appearance as a minor witness in congressional hearings. Smith's death had been recalled in some newspaper accounts of the death of Lawrence Duggan in New York City. On, August, on October 20th, Smith hurtled to his death down circular stairwell in the Justice Department. This was not a window, but he was thrown down the stairwell. That was also the opinion of justice officials. Smith, 53, was an attorney in the Solicitor General's office. Last summer, he figured any minor way in the House Committee on Un-American Activities. So here's three guys thrown out of a window. Lawrence Duggan in 1948. James Forrestal in 1949. Frank Olson in 1951. And Marvin Smith, I guess, that there wasn't a window available, so he got thrown down a stairwell. <laughs> and the CIA, these 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 declassified documents, in, I think they were declassified in the 70s or the 80s, these handbooks on how to commit assassinations. One of the, of course, one of those was throw people out of a window and make it look like a suicide. And these people are all connected. Marvin Smith and Lawrence Duggan were connected. Okay. But I don't think they necessarily have to be connected to see that there's a common theme here that all these guys were were either thrown down a stairwell or thrown out of a window. Right? They were not... uh, This was just a common tactic that was used at the time. So apparently it was very popular to throw people out windows in the early 40s, in the late 40s and early 50s. Huh. I still had one question about the um the uh when they interred the guy and determined that it was that he had 
received some sort of uh, blunt trauma prior to plummeting to his death. Yeah, they that said... That seems like that would be really hard what, to determine. Yeah, what the forensic pathologist that looked at the body said, and of course I'm getting this from the documentary, and I'd heard right. this before, but what he had said was it looked like he had been hit in the front of the head, and it didn't look like it was something that would have happened breaking glass. Right, but you're talking a guy that 40 years ago plummeted to his yeah. death. Well, and, apparently they could still tell by the skull, right. how the skull looks. But you don't know what he, like, his fall to the ground was like. I guess that's like, you know, what, yeah. we, you don't know what yeah. he encountered on his way to the earth and how he struck I, the ground. I think, too, that there's other circumstances that say that. I'm, yeah, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not by any means saying that this wasn't something nefarious. I'm just saying that, right. that that piece of evidence to me is like it stuck out as I'm just curious how they came to that conclusion. Well, the Frank Olson thing stinks. And so the idea is, I'll just go ahead and say it, you know, spoiler alert. The idea is, is that what his son thinks happened, the LSD part is, the, is what has been focused on primarily with Frank Olson, that he was spiked with LSD and somehow that caused his death. His son thinks that, no, that's not what happened. That's just a distraction. He thinks that his father was going to spill the beans on what was going on at Fort Detrick in advances in biological warfare and the fact that they may have used biological warfare in Korea. Right, and he so, was going to spill the beans on that, and that's why he was. And that's why he was eventually. They, and so, so maybe the it's LSD, a combination of the two. They yeah. roped him into MK Ultra to. Well, the LSD was to try to make him malleable so that he. Yeah, because that's it. what I'm saying. Yeah, right. They, they could convi- him into that. That program. was the first try. They, they'll they'll convince him to say, "Don't do this," and if all else fails, well, we're going to have to kill him. So that's his son's theory on what happened to his father. And I think it fits in. And I think with, you know, the Forrestal thing has always been suspicious too. Like I said, I think with the Forrestal stuff, people don't pay any attention to that because Forrestal was in like a sanitarium. But apparently, and, and Peter Robbins actually has looked into a lot of this. I just kind of disagree with Peter as to why Forrestal was killed. I don't think it was UFOs. I think it was something having to do with the Cold War, some kind of form of guilt. He was going to spill the beans about something. Yeah. They got rid of him. So when these people are placed, highly placed in this kind of national security state, you have to, if you don't want the secret to come out, because if the secret had come out about biological warfare that we were using, while the communists had already been accusing us of doing it and we had been denying it, Think about the implications of that in 1951, what that would have meant. Oh, for sure. And so much of that it's stuff It's not a big just, deal now. It, well, and it was all handled with, like, you know, non-disclosure agreements and stuff. Like, mm-hmm. like you know, you've got this security clearance. You've got to take it seriously. It doesn't matter what you know or what you see or what you hear. You can't share it. And if someone starts to get shady, like, mm-hmm. that's how they're going to react. That's how they have to react. Yeah, and don't think that it doesn't, you know. Chris Wolford told me... Um, uh, we were talking about this on Facebook, and he told me that he was surprised that 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 documentary came out. And I said, "Well, the CIA or whoever would just try to spin it as like, well, we don't do that anymore. That was back then. You know, we were fighting the Soviets. You know, we were." You know, but 
they still do stuff like that. I mean, come oh, I'm on. sure that it's gone way <laughs> deeper than that. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> right, right. So it's interesting. Just just those patterns are there, and they're like, not scared of us. They don't care yeah. what kind of documentaries come out. Right, right. Yeah, they could care less. I guess. No, Luke. What do you think? They couldn't care less. <laughs> is the appropriate phrase. <laughs> Thanks. He's right. He's right, Adam. He's right. <laughs> Thanks, Mister. Gr- Thanks, Mister. Grammar. <laughs> You're welcome. Don't mention it. All right, guys. Uh, we're going to get our cigars lit, and uh, we're going to talk to Timothy Renner tonight. We're going to go beyond the seventh gate on Conspiracy. <laughs> Okay, back on Conspiracy Normal, guys. Rob and I, we have our cigars lit, and Luke has his brogle yeah. over here. Oh, yeah, dude. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, we have Tim Renner on the line, and I had the pleasure in October of hanging out with Tim and his co-host for Strange Familiars, James, in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, which was a really awesome, good time. Got to... Uh, we got to investigate like a haunted bridge and uh, lear- learn about the, uh, what was it like? The we, we, we watched some video or something. These people talking about like some loaded waffles or something. <laughs> I don't remember oh, yeah. exactly what that was. <laughs> That's what they call suicide bridge. And yeah. we went to the bridge and for the life of me, I can't figure out how anyone could have killed themselves on that bridge. <laughs> they should call it like broken ankle bridge <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just totally not <laughs> it's it's completely just like it's it's if so short to the... on yourself and go ahead first maybe yeah <laughs> yeah maybe I, I mean i i i'm pretty sure i could have uh done a jump into that creek with without much problem from the bridge <laughs> yeah yeah we were pretty close because uh i think the couple days later i went to the eisenhower national site and it was like right there yeah, that's it's also known as Eisenhower Bridge, I think. Okay. Okay. Yeah, cuz I saw it coming on on the way back on the bus because you, you can only take the bus from the Gettysburg Welcome Center, take the bus to the Eisenhower and then back. They won't really want you, let you drive over there. And uh I saw it and I was like, "Oh, that's the bridge that we were at on Friday night." So Did, did you catch that one photo I took that had that like weird glowing object in it? No. Bridge? No, I didn't see that. Was that that night? Yeah, yeah, from that night. Um, it's just one single photo. It's a, it's, there's a glowing object off to one side. And I recorded, I don't know how much audio, however long we were there, I had audio running the whole time. But I forgot to turn it off, and the files are too large. So I have the files, and I can't, uh, I can't get them on my computer. My computer just doesn't like them because they're like three-hour-long waves. Oh, jeez. Yeah, that that was uh, it was kind of an interesting night. It was really cool to hang out with you guys over there. Um, uh, how's James? Yeah. How's James doing? He's doing good. I haven't heard him on Strange Familiars a lot lately. Well, 
we we've been having Skype problems and then uh, just problems getting together, like yeah. our scheduling problems and stuff. He he moved and he's got a whole bunch of you know a new girlfriend and all kinds of stuff going on in his personal life. So it's just hard to get together. But he was on the last patron episode and he's on the first part of the uh, the next episode we'll be doing. So okay, cool. Yeah, that's kind of how it goes. The new girlfriends they just kind of get in the way. so we're going to talk tonight about your book beyond the seventh gate and this is actually this is your first book right yeah okay because you've got the other book about bigfoot in pennsylvania that we talked about and now your new book which is west coast bigfoot but bigfoot west coast wild man right and uh, you know we're so we're going kind of out of order here but this book, as you kind of describe it, is a lot more you than probably like the other two. This is kind of like more of your own kind of research and interpretation. Yeah, this is a lot more of my own writing in the book. Um, well, the whole book is my writing. But it's more of, of my research. And uh, the Bigfoot books are both um, reprints of old newspaper articles for the most right. part. I have some commentary in there and, and some additional writing, but for the most part, they're they're old newspaper reprints. This book is is all my writing based on my research, and I kind of consider it, you know, it's it's my baby. It's my first book. It's it's uh, there's more of me in it than yeah. uh, than the other two. Yeah, and I have the luck of actually having a signed copy by the author himself. They're they're very rare. You have to you have to ask that guy. I got it at some event called Albatwitch Day or something like that. So, oh yeah. Or as yeah. Soraya likes to say, Albatwitch. Hand it to me, dude. I'll sell it on eBay. <laughs> I was hoping Albatwitch would come up tonight. <laughs> yeah, the Albatwitch. <laughs> There's a cool band by that name too. So I hear they're uh, very noisy. Mm-hmm. Yes. Very angry. Yes. Very, very angry band. Yes. Talk a lot about corporations and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Very political. Let's, uh, I want to talk about this, this legend because this is kind of like a local urban legend where you live in York County, Pennsylvania. And you kind of talk about, you know, it's like three counties, Adams County, which is where Gettysburg is. Right. And then York and Lancaster, which of course, you know, is famous for the Amish and all that. And I actually got to drive through that whole entire area uh, on my way to meet you that Friday. Um, So what is this urban legend of the seven gates of hell? All right. Well, it comes in two parts. There's I heard when I first moved, which was in the mid 1990s. And then there is the part, the sort of post internet legend. So, The uh, the original legend, as I heard it when I moved here, simply said that there were seven gates of hell. There were two different locations where it was named. One was Prospect Hill Cemetery in York City, and the other was in Hex Hollow, which is a, it's a place where the sort of famous, uh, they call it the Hex Murder, took place in York County. There's been a documentary about it called Hex Hollow. It's... Uh, there's a local practice called powwow. It's it's a folk magic kind of faith healing tradition. And in the 1920s, a fellow got uh, 
murdered because the some other fellows uh, thought he he had placed a, a hex on them, and that area is called Hex Hollow. So. These seven gates of hell were supposed to be located either at this cemetery, the Prospect Hill Cemetery, or in Hex Hollow. Toad Road was a totally different legend when I first moved here. There was ne- the seven gates of hell were never associated with it. The way the seven gates of hell were supposed to work were uh, at either location, no matter where, where people said they were. It was just a series of gates, and it was a sort of a circuitous route. So there weren't physical gates necessarily. But each uh, circuit you made, and you had to know the special route to go through either Hex Hollow or the cemetery. And each circuit you made would open a sort of virtual gate. And then uh, as you went, things would get more horrible and more supernatural as, as you went along. So that's the legend I, as I originally heard it. And why one would want to do this, I, I don't really understand. Legend tripping. You know, gotcha. it's, it's uh, the old... Uh, as as soon as kids got cars and 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 mobility and and so forth, I think uh, things like that became became popular. You know, starting when when people had more free time and more transportation and and the ability to go to supposedly haunted locations. Hmm. The post internet, uh, and I think I can literally pinpoint when this legend was applied to Toad Road. In uh, the late 90s, early 2000s, there was an email group, if you guys remember those. You join up to, for email groups, email message groups. Mm-hmm. And uh, it had to do with local legends and so forth. And there was a group of people that were members of this who had their own sort of like paranormal legend tripping group. And uh, they were well-meaning, I think, but... Uh, they never let uh, the facts get in the way of a good story. So one day they announced uh, they found Toad Road and they found the legend. They found out the true legend of Toad Road. And they came out with this outrageous story on this email group about a insane asylum that burned down. <laughs> and all these people were killed. And uh, it was their ghosts that were that were haunting Toad Road, and and that accounted for for all the horrible, horrible stuff. Now let me take a step back and say, the only thing that was ever said about Toad Road when I first moved here, the only thing I ever heard, and the first thing I do when I go anywhere is start digging for the ghost stories and the legends. The only thing I heard about Toad Road was, specifically, I heard was from my wife who went to day camp out uh, in that area, right, right nearby. And she was told by one of the counselors or, or a fellow uh, camper, I'm not sure which, they said, uh, don't look behind you on Toad Road. It was just mm. this very ominous statement, like, when you're on Toad Road, don't look behind you. But post-internet, this, you know, they, they come out with this story of this, this insane asylum burning down and so forth. And knowing the area, excuse me. Knowing the area, I, I looked at a map. My father-in-law does genealogy, and he has tons of, of local maps. So I looked at the map and, and went back to the 1700s, and there was never an insane asylum on Toad Road. They mark these buildings. They mark all kinds of buildings out there. Schools are marked. Hospitals are marked. You know, The only thing that was ever on Toad Road 
as far as a structure was what looks to be like they call it a seasonal dwelling. It's probably a hunting lodge or a hunting cabin rather, not a lodge. Sure. So I came back to them and I said, no way. There was never no no insane asylum. Sorry. And then they came back almost immediately. I mean, like, you know, within hours, if not minutes, and said, oh, no, 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 it wasn't insane asylum. It was a mad doctor. There was a mad doctor who lived out there, and he kept patients in his house, and it was his house that burned down, <laughs> and that was the result of the fire, and that killed all the, the, the patients and et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, this, you know, at, at the time, this sounds like nonsense, but <clears throat> whatever, I'm, you know, I don't think so. Time goes by, and uh, I get contacted by the uh, Weird USA people, the people who put out the Weird USA book, and they they wanted to use a story I had written about Hex Hollow for the book, and I said sure. And then they asked me to take pictures of that, and they said, "Can you take pictures of Toad Road also?" I said, "Yeah, yeah, I can do that, but please let me proofread the story because there's there's a lot of nonsense out there about." Toad Road and, and these seven gates of hell. Well, the book is published, and here are my pictures right next to this outlandish story. They, it looks like they copied and pasted right off the internet about this burning insane asylum. Gotcha. At that point, I resolved to someday, I said, you know, someday I'm going to figure out as close as I can the, the true story of this, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to print it. And I'm going to make it right because it, it it just bugged me that my pictures were next to this complete nonsense story. Huh. And th- this is not an unusual thing, like the whole seven gates of hell or the gates of hell thing. Like a lot of towns actually have this kind yeah, of urban yeah, legend. You'll find them I, even in Pennsylvania. I think there's two or three other towns that have them. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Some of them involve kind of like the weird, like cars acting strangely and. Yeah, yeah. Some of them have actual gates. Some of them don't. You know, some of them uh, are underground. They're in, you know, supposedly in in tunnels and so forth. So, yeah, it's a popular thing. There was a a traveling preacher, a very popular traveling preacher in the mid twentieth century, who uh, one of his sermons was about the seven gates of hell. My guess is that uh, somebody was inspired by that and. Uh, decided to sort of see if they could make them a, a real place, you know, and then yeah. they kind of transferred over to these local legends. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. So what did you do to start to kind of, to try to like debunk this, this theory and kind of looking into the story a little bit, like what were kind of the steps that you took? Well, I started looking at what people were reporting first of all. So as far as the weird stuff that goes on out there and none of it really sounded like ghost stuff to me. They're reporting screams in the woods. They're reporting things peeking at them from behind trees. They're reporting being paced in the woods by things just out of sight. Um, none of this is particularly ghost-like behavior. And if you know anything about cryptid creatures, Bigfoot, this sounds a lot like what's reported with them. So immediately I kind of went, well, this looks like maybe not a uh, you know a ghost thing but let me let me see what i can find <laughs> so i started looking and seeing what maybe how how did these legends stick because sometimes there's a 
legends will stick if there's a, a little bit of truth. And I, I, one of the most unfortunate things about this is there was a doctor who lived out near Toad Road. His name was Dr. Belknap. And because people wanted to, I mean, they really, really wanted this insane asylum story to stick. So they started looking for any doctors that lived in the area. And sure enough, Dr. Belknap lived in the area. So he became the mad doctor. Now, he was a cardiologist. He never worked with mental patients. He did work at a place called a sanitarium, which for some people go, aha, see, he worked in an incident. No, he did not. Hospitals of various sorts, any place of medical rest in, in the early 20th century was known as a sanitarium. See, that's so, actually something I didn't know until I read that in your book. Because you normally make the the association of a sanitarium with like a mental institution. Yeah, and nowadays it would be. But uh, mm-hmm. at, at that time, you know, like I said, early, mid-20th century, a sanitarium was any place of medical rest. Okay. So, it, and now it could be an insane asylum, but it didn't have to be. And in fact, the, the Senate, he's worked at the West Side Sanitarium, which was just a hospital in York. Before uh, York Hospital, that was the, the, uh, the, the hospital in York. There was no freestanding insane asylum in York County. There never has been. They went to the almshouse before, and uh, once York Hospital was built, there's, there's a, a floor or a wing, I forget which, in York Hospital where uh, people with uh, mental problems are sent. So York County's never had a freestanding uh, insane asylum. So this doctor, you know, people in these different ghost story books named him. Um, they basically called him out as the doctor. They said he had a hospital, a sanitarium or something. He was running far up in the hills in Helm, which, by the way, would place it far off of Toad Road, so that makes no sense at all. Toad Road runs through a, a, a sort of a riparian valley alongside a creek, so it's it's not up in the hills. It's in a, in a hollow. Um, they made up all sorts of horrible things about him to associate him with this story. And it's simply not true. Dr. Belknap was a veteran of both world wars. He did a lot of charity work for the, the poor and, and the aged. So uh, he wasn't this kind of uh, sinister figure that was holding patients hostage in his home or, or whatever the reports were. Right. As of the printing of the book, now I haven't checked lately, but as of the printing of the book, his second wife was still alive. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought, man, that's horrible. Like, if she, I, like, I hope she never read my book. I hope she never heard any of the stories right. about her husband. But if, if she heard any of them, I, I hope it was from my book because the other ones are just, just horrible. It's like, and nobody did the research. They're just printing rumors. Yeah. And, uh, so if I did one good thing with the book, hopefully I cleared Dr. Belknap's name because he, he doesn't need to be associated with that. Yeah. It, it seems like that's an, a, a common motif of some of these urban legends too, is like the mad doctor, you know, like the whole melon heads thing in Ohio where they talk about like the melon heads were produced by some mad doctor doing experiments out in the woods. Like that's always yeah. an association with it too. <laughs> I, 
I was actually, uh, some people from Ohio reached out to me after reading my book and and they're like, can you come here and do the same thing? (laughs) Because they wanted me to kind of start debunking that, that stuff. But, uh, maybe someday I'll get there, but the, the hex hollow, um, stuff too figures into this. This is, this is all part of this, like this motif here. Um, yeah, like I said, that's where one of the two places where the seven gates were, were originally supposed to located. What happened there? Like, and, 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 and what, what happened there? What supposedly, what is said to have happened, what really happened? And like, you've been to these places. So what is actually there? Um, what is there now is a very awesome park, uh, called Spring Valley Park that takes up most of, uh, the valley and the, what they call the hex house, the house where the murder occurred is still standing. It's not part of the park. It's private property, but, uh, it, it, it abuts the park basically it's, it's right there. The the story um, so there was a man named Nelson Raymeyer. He was a healer. Like I said, he he did this local practice which is called powwow. It's a it's a folk magic tradition, and he was also a socialist. Um, he lived alone down there in that house. His own wife said he she wouldn't live with him because he was, uh, in her words, is one of my favorite quotes about the man. He was quote too damn peculiar. <laughs> So uh, she would not live with him. But um, again, this wasn't a bad guy. This is a guy who helped his neighbors. He employed his neighbors on his farm. He, uh, I found references to him running for school board and so forth um, in the area. He, he cared about people's education. And, uh, you know, he, he, by all accounts, he was a good man. There's this uh, other fellow, this Blymeyer fellow who was a, a, a failed powwow doctor. He kind of lives this sort of sad life where he can't get anything going. He wants to be. So there were storefront powwow practices in New York. This is in the 1920s at this time. I think this guy probably wanted to be a, a powwow doctor and could never get it going. He couldn't keep any of his patients. He's got this hard luck story. And uh, he decides at some point that, that he's been hexed. Hmm. Now the the sort of danger of, of practicing this this uh, folk magic tradition is you can also be very easily accused of being a witch because the the sort of thought process goes well if, if you know how to heal you also know how to hurt with with uh, magic so he starts visiting these various other powwow doctors including uh, one known as the River Witch of Marietta she's right across the river actually where you were Albatwitch Day she would have been like uh, just maybe three miles north of there, there's another little river town. Okay. Okay. And after he visits her a number of times, supposedly um, she said, give me a dollar. He handed her a dollar. She folded it up and said, unfold this and you'll see the face of the person who, who put the hex on you. He unfolds the dollar bill and supposedly sees the face of Nelson Raymire. So he decides He's got – well, he asked her how to break the curse. She says you have to get either his hex book or a lock of his hair and bury it six feet underground. So he decides that you know he, he's got to do this, and uh, he's 
kind of my feeling is he's probably too afraid to do it by himself. So he starts looking around York and he finds another kind of hard luck case, a, a younger guy who was, um, had a bad home life. He was abused by his stepfather. He worked in the same cigar factory as Blymeyer in York. And he convinces this kid that, that he's been hexed too. And he's been hexed by Raymeyer. They continue to look around. They find another family with a farm near Raymeyer's and, they're in, having hard times. Their cows aren't given milk and so forth. And basically he convinces them they've been hexed by Ray Myers as well. So their son and uh, the the uh, other boy and, and Blymeyer, the three of them, it's, uh, Curry, Hess, and Blymeyer, they make their way down to Ray Myers' house one night. And Ray Meyer lets them in and talks to him all night, uh, lets them stay the night because it got late. Feeds them breakfast in the morning and sends them on their way. The next day, the next night, they come back. He lets them in again, and and they basically attack him. And uh, they ended up. Uh, he ends up. <laughs> apparently, Raymar gave a pretty good fight. He was supposedly a really big, strong man, over six feet, and pretty imposing guy. But eventually, after a protracted fight they ended up beating him to death with a block of wood and a and a chair and to cover Jeez. their yeah, yeah. <laughs> to try to cover their uh the crime they they tried to light the place on fire well they couldn't even do that right um i think they they burned there's there's a burn mark on the floor i think but they they didn't burn the house down um yeah the house is still there right yeah yeah uh Supposedly, as they're leaving the, well, the as they killed the man when when Raymar gave his death rattle. Supposedly, um, Blymeyer said, "Thank God the witch is dead." And uh, s- supposedly, as he was leaving, he turned around and from the flames, supposedly saw Raymar's spirit like come out of the house and and take to the sky. So the story goes, but uh, the body, Raymar's body, was found a couple days later by uh his neighbor and uh big murder trial ensued they they actually called it the trial of the century in 1928 this is you know however many years before oj right right (laughs) (laughs) to ask uh, something so associated with this uh that you mentioned in that chapter uh that i'd never heard of before a book called the long lost friend yeah what is that well, that is the sort of uh, the the sort of uh, recipe book for for this powwow tradition, the main one, the, the most popular one. It's written by a name a man named John Homan, and he brought these different they're different little spells and prayers and incantations and so forth. Uh, it's all folk magic. It's, it's a lot of stuff like uh, to. You know, if you have a stomach ache, you tie a string around an egg or something and, and you, you know, you cook that egg and, and then take the string off. And, you know, it, it's very simple sort of folk magic things. Um, the recipes for like writing Himmel's briefs, which are uh, basically uh, letters from heaven, which are, are little prayers you would write and keep with you, like to, to keep you safe from hunters or you know, being shot from bullets or from rabid dogs and so forth, uh, things about how to, you know, how to put out fires and, and, and the like. So 
just very simple little prayers and spells. But the whole book is full of them. The, the guy brought them from Germany. He gets uh, a lot of them from uh, the oh, – I'm drawing a blank on it now. Uh, Egyptian Secrets is the name of the uh, a book published before his. Oh, Egyptian they, Secrets. They were brought from uh, Germany. Um, but for some reason, he, he his book, uh, Long Lost Friend, became sort of the most popular book on powwowing. And uh, that was supposedly the, the uh, book they were looking for, that they, they never had the guts to, to actually look for it. A- after they killed the man, they still couldn't get up the nerve to go in his basement and look for his hex book. Yeah, sounds like the whole thing was just botched. Yeah, and uh, there's a theory that it had more to do with trying to rob him than, uh, than really trying to, to uh, break any hex. Do you have a copy of that book? I have several copies of The Long Lost Friend. Wow. Dating back to – it's been in print it's since 1860-something, so there's multiple copies out there. And I, I, I kind of collect editions, so I have several editions. Huh. Do you use any of that stuff yourself? Uh, this is asking if I practice folk magic. Um, <laughs> yes, I, 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 I do um, – yeah, I mean, folk magic is. Boy, this is a this is a whole different topic. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, uh, yeah. But uh, in my view, folk magic is like folk tales, and I'll say like folk tales are kind of the mythology of the people. They don't often have to do with gods. They have to do with, uh, but they still teach lessons, and and they usually have to do with you know spirits or or some sort of lesson or or um, some sort of information you're passing down but not to do with gods. So I often say, you know, myths are sort of, uh, they belong to the priests while folklore belongs to the people. And I think folk magic is the same way in regards to other kinds of occultism. Like other occultism is just a sort of, uh, religious based, even if it isn't, uh, a standard religion, it, it sort of, uh, belongs to the priests while folk magic belongs to the people. It was, it was practiced at home. Right, and this is kind of like a uh, this this the the hex magic that tradition. I guess is that's I guess ultimately from Germany. Yeah, yeah, and, and the Pennsylvania Dutch. Yeah, it comes from Germany, and there's a fantastic book uh, called Trolldom, which is uh, folk magic from uh, more the uh, Nordic countries, which is uh, I'm I'm particularly fond of. Oh, very interesting. Next time I'm up there, I'm going to have to see this book. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Our, our I books. find them all the time. I, I, I'm constantly going to auctions and stuff, and whenever I, I find a, a new edition, I'll pick it up. Wow. <clears throat> it, it, I guess this is just something that's from – is it just specific to that area, or is it uh, – I found that, that just through talking to people, Long Lost Friends popular kind of throughout Appalachia um, as well huh. as Pennsylvania. It, it's okay. It's – you know, it's sort of home base is, is Pennsylvania, but uh, it's really found a, a good bit of popularity throughout Appalachia. So this could be around here in Tennessee as well. I Yeah, I, I think it really could. Okay. Also, you go to Prospect Hill Cemetery, and there's some interesting stories about it as well. Well, oddly, I mean, considering that most cemeteries, especially the size of Prospect Hill— 
will have multiple stories. Um, I could only find one ghost story in the regards to that whole cemetery. And that, that has to do with the singing corpse, which was a really cool story about, uh, people were seeing this pale faced, uh, man with glowing red eyes who was singing, uh, near my God to thee there at, uh, midnight, I believe in, in, uh, the cemetery, he'd just show up. Yeah. That's a crazy story. That's like from the early 1900s that they said yeah. that this happened. Yeah. So no one else has seen that since then or seen anything similar. I mean, you can't go in that cemetery at night without getting arrested. Um, it's not in a particularly great neighborhood. Of gotcha. gotcha. <laughs> I've been out there at night, and I've, I've seen no glowing red eyes nor heard uh, any hymns being sung, but uh, I can't say that no one else ever has. Okay. Toad Road itself. Now, you've done plenty of um, walkabouts in there. Yeah, I love that place. So, I mean what are some of the stories from there and like the sightings that you've seen things that you've seen in that area? Well, as I said, that what sounded to me like, like cryptid things, um, the screaming and, and the, the people were reporting, he says screaming and things peeking from behind trees and, and things walking there. So I, that's what I started looking into. And I started digging and i i indeed found someone who said they were attacked out there since writing the book i've been in contact with this fellow and uh the newspaper article was very brief it was from i think 1974 and it said he was attacked by a green-haired monster <clears throat> excuse me hmm. um out on toad road and uh, sent to the hospital with face scratches. Now, I tracked the guy down. He had no internet uh, presence. He was really, really hard to find. It took me a long, long time to find him. And I contacted him, and I said, I'd, I'd like to talk to you about this, you know, this event that happened in, in 1974. And he called me, and he said, wow, I, you know, I haven't thought about that in years. Um, let me think about it. So over the course of about six months, I drew this guy out with this story. And what happened, um, and this is not unusual, um, the police report was not what happened. I found this with other Bigfoot reports in the area. Excuse me. Um, for instance... I, there's a Bigfoot report where someone hit it with a car in the area and the police reported them as hitting a cow. And the, the witness said, no way, no how did I hit a cow? But the police just put down, you know, he hit a cow. Huh. And in fact, a hair sample was sent from, the, it left hair on a bumper of his car. And hair sample, sample was sent and analyzed and came back as unknown primate. So uh, the cow was apparently an unknown primate. <laughs> <clears throat> so the the police uh you know i think probably to make their paperwork easier maybe um maybe there's it's not a deeper conspiracy than that the, although uh i have filed FOIA requests for these police reports and uh, multiple police reports from the toad road area and none of them have ever been answered um i do not have a lawyer to pursue that matter any further so 
the only thing I can say if they won't answer the FOIA requests, I, there's nothing I can do. I can't make the police, you know, give me the reports. So where they said that it was an unknown primate, that's what the that's what this, this gentleman that's that had this experience well, told you. Well, I, I was uh, using that as an example to how the police sort of simplify the report. So the, mm-hmm. the the report the police gave the newspapers that he was sent to the hospital with scratches on his face. He was sent to the hospital with a brain injury. He was in the hospital for over a week. Uh, he said what happened was he, he drove his car out there. He was just looking for something to do. He was with a friend. He, the car would not start. Uh, this, this happens in many paranormal accounts, uh, Bigfoot UFOs, you name it. Couldn't get the car started. Something started messing with the car. Uh, trying the door handles, um, banging on the side of the car, et cetera, et cetera. They stayed for hours in, afraid in this car. He said it, it started getting too late. He just, he said, I had to make a move. I couldn't stay there all night. He gets out of the car and starts trying to find, now this is before cell phones, et cetera. So he's, he's trying to find help. going to, you know, see if there's a, a nearby house or something. And in his words, he ran into, he didn't use, ever use the word Bigfoot. He said he ran into a monster. A, a huge, hairy monster that was standing on two legs. And in his words, this thing beat him down. Like, he, he literally ran into it in the dark, like, bumped into it, and it beat him down. And, oh, and gave, gave him a brain injury, sent him to the hospital. He has uh, nightmares on the regular about it. He, he said he really, you know, his, his girlfriend hated when he talked to me about it because he said he'd, he'd have nightmares. He'd wake up screaming for, you know, two weeks afterward. This guy has, you know, I'm not a psychologist, but from my point, it looks like he has serious post-traumatic stress about this. Right. And, and talking about it just kind of brings it all back up again. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and you can tell, I mean, he's, he shakes when he talks about it when, and I probably shouldn't have said this. I was someone, I, it was Sarai actually. Sarai told me, you know, you asked him a leading question when you asked him that. Because when he said he ran into a hairy monster, I said, do you think it was Bigfoot? And and he was so not a Bigfoot guy, he paused, he got real quiet, and he said, you know, I never thought about that. I guess it could have been. So he wasn't a Bigfoot guy at all. Yeah. He, he was never a Bigfoot guy. Um, <clears throat> Did he give any other kind of description about it? Just said it was tall, it was it was hairy, and it was bigger than any man he'd ever seen. And it was standing on two legs. And he said, he told him, uh, the police told him, well, it was a guy in, in skins. You ran into a guy wearing skins. He said, this was no, you know, he said, maybe if it was a, the, the biggest man who ever lived in skins, he said, but no, <laughs> uh-huh. it's, you, you know, and then he, the, then the police told him too. He's like, well, it was a cow. And the, this guy <laughs> lived on a farm. He said, you know, I lived on a farm. We had cows. I know what cows are. I didn't run into a cow. So, uh, he, you know, again, he spent a week in the hospital. He had uh, long-term problems. Uh, you know, he had a serious brain injury. He said when he went back to, he was uh, 17 or 18 at the time. He said when he went back to school, he had to have someone walk him around from class to class. He couldn't even remember where his classrooms were. Wow. So he had a, a serious injury out there. So I found this guy. I found uh, another report. Again, this was after the book was published. Another person was parked in the same exact place this guy was. And 
because they had heard all these ghost legends, they, they chalked this up to ghosts. They said something lifted up the back end of their car. Huh. Now, ghosts, ghosts do not lift up the back end of cars. Right. <laughs> you know, and, uh, you know, they could feel it. They lifted it up and dropped their car. And they never, again, they never saw anything. So uh, a friend of mine, actually James, James' father saw something that he described as uh, huge and and green and hairy back there, which when the 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 green thing like kind of freaked me out a little bit. So I was like, all right, now we're talking about like green monsters, really? It's but like when swamp you start, things back there or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But when you start yeah. digging into Bigfoot literature, there there are you know quite a few cases out there where people report either like a, a green tinge or or like there's you know moss or algae or something growing in the hair. Like a, a sloth can get that, um, or that somehow you know they're. I've heard reports that their hair is somehow like ultra reflective or something and uh, can appear green, you know, through whatever process of that it reflects light. There's also this legend about the the hide behind too, which fits in nicely with your wife talking about the people telling her, don't look behind you on toad road. Right. That was the other thing that for me, that was that kind of made the story for me that, that, you know, that, that, connected it full circle. So I find this, this story from Pennsylvania folklore, the hide behind, which is the creature they said would stalk behind people in the woods. And they said, you should never uh, be the last in line because they would always grab the people the last in line. If you were going to be the last in line, the, the bravest people should be the last in line because they could be relied on not to look behind them. I guess the, the idea is when you look behind, if you saw the hide behind, you get so afraid that uh, you'd freeze up, and, that, and that's when he gets you. Which kind of fits into a lot of like you know Politis's stuff about people being the last in line, getting, oh, yeah. getting taken. Nobody knows what happens to them. Yeah, and in fact, I found um, there's a very recent missing persons uh, in the 2000s. I, I forget the actual date, 2014 maybe. It's in the book the actual date, but a, a woman, a woman right near there went missing. She still hasn't been found. Really? And she just disappeared. So she, uh, was dropped off near there, uh, to see her. She wanted to uh, see her old family home or something and so dropped off on a nearby road for a walk. And she is gone. Wow. <clears throat> Were you and, writing uh, the book when that was, when that, when that, no, that happened? I, I found that as I was writing the book, um, and again, I, I don't name her because like what Pilates does, he does it in a very sort of uh, respectful way where he, he won't say what he thinks, you know, is taking right, people. Right, right, right. Um, Soraya and I were and talking about this last night. Yeah. Since I'm sort of basically saying, okay, here's all this weird stuff going on out there. There's all this weird cryptid stuff. And then this lady disappears. I didn't want to like name her by name and then have her family have to, you know, Oh, this guy's saying Bigfoot took my, sure. my mom or whatever sure. it is. So I don't name her, but, but it's, it's a real case. Um, I found another case of a guy who was found dead in the twenties, I believe twenties or early thirties out there. He had discharged a shotgun twice and, and was just found dead. Um, they don't know like what happened. And uh, another story of a guy who supposedly fell out of his tree stand. 
and uh, they found him dead out there. That's a more recent one as well. Well, going back a little bit to your the about the wild men in Pennsylvania, uh, doing all during all that research that you did for that book, did you find anything that was close to that area that was reported back in the nineteenth century? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a there's one report from. Um, the Accomac, which is right nearby, that's supposed to be a, a haunted uh, inn, actually, but it's right nearby Toad Road, and they re- there's a wild man report from there that uh, I believe it chased a, a girl, a young oh. girl. Fascinating. There's also there also someone did have a ghost experience out there, or what we think might be a ghost. Yes, a, a something experience. Yeah. yeah, this is weird. I, I want you to tell this one. <laughs> Uh, the, the, the guy sitting on the gate. Right. Yeah. So yeah, this is, uh, when I was writing the book, I wanted to ask people who were my age or older for stories because I, the internet is full of toad road stories. If you want to find people who say there's seven gates back there, you can find those stories on the internet. Now I've been back there. I've been back there multiple times. There's not seven gates back there. There's one gate on one end of the road there are not seven gates. Yeah. There never were seven gates back there. But all over the internet, you'll find stories of, of kids who say, oh, yeah, I went back and I only made it to the fifth gate. It's so scary. And when you call people <laughs> on this, I say, well, there's only one gate. Come on. Like, let's like show me these other gates. Well, no, the, uh, the, the, the fallen trees act as gates. Well, that's there's a fallen tree about every 10 feet across the road. Yeah. Back there. yeah. So, <laughs> And when you say road, I mean, it's pretty grown over at this point. Like, it's almost been totally reclaimed by nature. Yeah, yeah. There, yeah. There's places where it's less than a path. I mean, that's the other thing. People say, oh, I've walked the whole road at night. No, you, no, you haven't. I, I guarantee. <laughs> I, I guarantee they haven't. They, Such they a killjoy, Tim. You just <laughs> <laughs> it's It gets treacherous during the day. Yeah. And, um, I get lost on the regular back there, right? You know, in in broad daylight. Which, by the way, this is private property. Please don't go back there. Please don't bug the people back there. Yeah. I have permission to be back there, but it's not. You're not going to find seven gates back there. There's just please leave these these people these poor people alone. There, you'll find more no trespassing signs in, in that area than than anywhere on earth. I think just because these poor people are uh, completely harassed. It's like these uh, damn kids always coming on my property. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think the concern is more that people are going to hurt themselves. Which, which, like I said, it yeah. it can it's pretty treacherous back there. There's a the stream crossings. If if the water's high, this the the road runs right next to a, a Cador's Creek, which had really at this point is is just about a river. It's it's right near where Cador's feeds into the Susquehanna River. And it's, when Cador's Creek is high and the other creeks back there are high, it's actually a pretty treacherous. It can be a treacherous uh, hike back there. Um, I guess on my I, way when I was on US thirty, I guess I crossed pretty close to there, didn't I? Yeah, yeah, okay. not too far. It would have been uh, just north of there. Yeah, gotcha. And uh, th- there was a time where I was talking, I was thinking about taking people out, like for my podcast. People were like, "Oh, you know, I want to go. I want to go." I was like, yeah, I'll take you out there. I'll be like a tour guide. And then I thought about it. I'm like, you know what? I can't, like if somebody hurts themselves out there, I can't, I can't take that on. Yeah. 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 But, um, yeah. So, so, uh, it, 
my feeling is that that it was a sort of hotbed. Well, and it's not just my feeling. Uh, Stan Gordon, the uh, right around, I think a couple months before my book was published, Stan Gordon had taken a report, and I didn't know about this, of a hyena-like dogman creature right out in that area. Mm. There's been a, a Mothman creature type report um, within half mile of Toad Road. So there, there's these weird, like, cryptid reports that people are taking from the area um, since you know since my book came out and 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 before as well. Well, the guy that was sitting at the gate, what did these people describe that they saw? Ah, oh, yes, got off track. Sorry about that. Yeah, so, you're good. yeah, we're good. So I'm asking the older people the reason why I didn't want I wanted stories. I wanted pre-internet stories because the, sure. the stories post internet are tainted by this burning insane asylum nonsense. So I'm asking everyone I know this fellow was, um, a lady my wife works with. It was her husband. So he got any stories about toad road. Oh yeah, I got a story. So he tells me the story and he and his friends go out one night. He said, that, you know, usually they'd be drinking, but they had no drinks. And they go out there. They just wanted, you know, a thrill. He was, you know, I don't know, early twenties, I think. His age, not the not the date. Uh, this would have been back in the eighties. And he said uh, they came around the corner, and there's this guy just dressed all in white. And he said he had like a he said he had a, like a pale white flat top, and just like pale white skin and a white suit. And he's sitting on at the time there was a, a like a chain link uh, or just a a. Um, a cable stretched between two two uh, posts. There wasn't a, a gate out there at that point, and uh, to close off the road. And he was sitting on this on this uh, barrier as they drove by. And he, they said he didn't flinch as the the car lights hit him. He didn't look. He didn't flinch. He didn't move. And uh, they go by him, and and he just sits there staring straight ahead the entire time. It's so weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and. So he's telling me the story, and, and people get very particular about their their sightings. And I wanted to do an illustration of that for the book, and I didn't show it to him before the book was published, basically because I didn't feel like doing the illustration over again. I didn't want him to go, "That's not right," which is what you get a lot of times from people, because they want it to be, they want it to really represent what they saw. They don't want, you know, they want uh, if there's a drawing or something, they they really want it to to be accurate to what they saw. So I was very hesitant to show him this this illustration because, I, like I said, I just didn't want to do it twice. So I I just – I did it. I, I liked it. I threw it in the book. I was like, well, you know, and I kind of crossed my fingers when I gave him his copy. I'm like, oh, boy, I can't wait to hear it. Like, oh, that's not right. It's, he came back to me. He's like, that's it. I, I don't know how you got it. That's exactly what he looked like. So apparently I, I did a good job on the uh, – on the illustration in the book. <laughs> Had anybody else seen that guy before? Just that one no. time? No, that's, yeah, Weird. that's the only report. And I sent him a picture of, of the, the, the only thing he said, he said, I made the hair on, on the guy a little too high and spiky. Uh huh. He said, everything else is just perfect. So I sent him a, a picture of Dr. Belknap. I, I had a photo of Dr. Belknap. I said, could it have been this guy that you saw? Dr. Belknap would have been dead at this point. Uh, he died in, I think 78 or 79. And, and this was, like I said, in the eighties, probably in the late eighties when they were, uh, when they had this experience. And I just wanted to, I was just, you know, kind of checking like, you know, could it have been Dr. Belknap's ghost? And he, he said, I can't say for sure. He's like, maybe, but he, he wasn't sure. 
That is such a weird story. Yeah, that was an odd one. Yeah, I have a friend of mine has actually been on this show. He he tells a story about being at the Area 51 uh, and the environs of it. And he said that he saw some guy at like a standing next to a car in like full wizard gear with like a staff and like drove by this person and then went back to look like just a few minutes later and there was nobody there. <laughs> it just reminded me of that. Uh, your, yeah, that story I, reminds me of that. Yeah. I love that. Just those little weird details like that. Yeah. And there's no, like this conformed neither to my, you know, my cryptid thing back there, nor the insane asylum story. It was right. just another weird story that someone had from the area. That's, that's a, another reason I really liked it. And you, you got a picture of something. Yes. I got there. a picture of, of something. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Um, I didn't see it when I took the picture. I, I took, I don't know, a hundred pictures. This was the, that was the first day I'd been back there. I've been back there several times since, including to the area where I shot this picture and I took other pictures and, and I, you know, if this was a, a log or something, it, it wasn't there when I came back. That's mm-hmm. all I can say. But, um, it's not, it's not going to convince anybody anything. It's not going to, if you're a skeptic, you will look at it and go, yeah, well, it's nothing. You know, if you want to believe it's something, you will look at it and say, wow, you, you really got something there. Uh, to me, that's the nature of all this, all this stuff. It's the nature of this phenomenon that, um, when, uh, when you get a picture, it's probably going to be inconclusive. And, uh, that's what I seem to have gotten. I was, one guy told me he thinks it's something phasing in to, to, you know, from another dimension. So I don't know. I I don't make any claims as to what it is. It's only, it's something it's, it was an interesting photo. Yeah. You're not sure if it's actually something there or it could just be some kind of pareidolia or something like that. Right. It it, it does look like it has teeth though. I mean, it's, (laughs) yeah, I've, I've, and you know the the thing that really got me is it, when Stan Gordon told me after the fact about that that uh, dogman kind of uh, uh, like I said it was a, a hyena they reported like a hyena like dogman kind of creature. Weird. And I'm like and I'm looking at it and I'm like, okay, I could make it into that. You know? <laughs> Have you ever felt just like I mean, going to that place as many times as you've been? Have you ever felt just weird presence there, just like a, just a strange feeling? Well, the the weirdest sort of sequence of events I I had, and I, I have had other things. I, I went there one time to interview another Bigfoot researcher, and uh, I was interviewing him, and his girlfriend called us over after we were done the interview, and she said, look at that. I heard. Well, first of all, she said, I, I heard a growl from across the creek. I walked down to where she was, and I'm looking across the creek, and there's these uh, white sycamore trees that kind of stand out from the rest of the trees. There's a single sycamore tree, just a, a great big sycamore tree, rocking back and forth, like back and forth, back and forth. You can just see the top of it, like going back and forth and back and forth. No wind that day. And I'm looking at them, and I'm going, what the heck is that? You know. So there was that, but I wasn't particularly creeped out by that. The, the sort of weirdest sequence of, of events that happened to me. I, so I was there last spring. And uh, I was there with a friend. And we were hiking. I, I actually found a new way into it. This road is, it uh, leads to Cador's Furnace, which is an old Revolutionary War iron furnace. 
And I found a, a different way in that was uh, really, you could see the old, you could see the oldest part of the road that goes back to Revolutionary War times, actually pre Revolutionary War times. Mm. And it's really cut into the, the hillside. It's, you can see the old stonework. It's really, really neat. And I'm really excited. So I'm, I'm following this, this in. And um, at some point, you know, we, we were done our hike that day. And, and uh, we kind of agreed, well, well, we'll come back in two weeks. As I'm walking out, I, I look down in the middle of the path. And there's this like perfectly clean raccoon skull. I collect skulls, so for me, it's like, oh wow, look at that, bingo! I'm like, hurrah! So I, I pick up the raccoon skull and you know put it in my pack, and I don't think anything of it. And so we make a date to come back in in two weeks or whatever it was. I think it was either two or three weeks. So uh, that that day comes, and and I call him and I'm like, hey, let's go. You know, I want to go back out there, and he says, well. I can't, can't do it. So I decide I'm going to go out by myself. So I hike in and, and, uh, it's, it's a, again, a pretty treacherous, uh, people have been dumping glass in this one area and you kind of have to tiptoe over, over this sort of field of sharp glass to get into it. I'm a little, you know, I, I've got MS, so I, I do fall down in the woods occasionally. Yeah. I'm a little trepidatious about that, but I make my way past that and, and get onto the old road and I catch movement up ahead and I have to be careful the way I explain this because it sounds like I'm saying I see a moose, but I didn't see a moose. The first thought that came to my head, well, the first thought was, oh, look, a deer. And of course, then it was like, well, no way. That's way too big to be a deer. And then I'm thinking like, well, well what is that? What, what am I looking at? It was gray and uh, gray and black. And I, the, the thought that came to my head was moose. And the reason why I say that is I, I've seen moose in the wild in the, in the woods in Massachusetts. And they, it was shocking how big they were. I guess having not, not seen one in person before, you, you know, and growing up on a farm, you think, you know, their moose are like, you know, big cows or, or, or a horse maybe size but they're, they're much bigger they're they're startlingly big you know when you see them in the wild especially and they move uh different than a than a horse so that was sort of the the feeling that when i saw whatever this was i went i went moose what, what i'm is it a moose and then of course you know this was all happening in a matter of seconds i you know i saw this thing for um you know under five seconds probably it, it just shot off super fast in into the woods uh south the same way i was going on on the trail weird um and as so, far as i know there's no moose in pennsylvania right there are there are no moose yeah. uh, there were there were black moose back in the day um there are no elk here anymore not in york county anyway in, in other parts of pennsylvania there are it was um quadrupedal but the it's back its shoulders were higher than its rear end so it's not like the the back was parallel to the ground i was seeing i i could see the shoulders and it looked like the front end was powering the back end and i don't want to say you know i saw a squatch but it looked like 
when a gorilla runs on all fours. Huh. But that's but like I said, I I had this weird like because I think you try to make things into anything normal first. Like I said, at first I'm going like, well, deer. And I'm like, no, way too big to be a deer. And then I'm going, well, uh, you know, moose. It's a moose. And then, you know, then you realize that couldn't have been a moose. Yeah, and by you try that to point, rationalize it. Yeah. yeah. By that point, it's gone. So it shot like quick as a, a wink. I mean, it's it just faster than anything else I've ever seen move in the woods. And not through bravery. Um I literally just wasn't thinking. I, I followed after it. And uh, the, the trail gets nasty down in there. Like I said, it's, a, it's in a sort of a, a river bottom. It's a, well, it's a creek bottom. But in the, when it starts getting warm, uh, thorns and stinging nettle grow up. And uh, I saw a copperhead that day. I was, by the time I was done, I was covered in ticks. Yeah. It's just a nasty trail. It's not... It's not a pleasant hiking trail. People aren't supposed to be on it, and no, no one would hike it for fun anyway. Right, right. Spe- especially that time of year. So I follow this thing on probably well, – I, I go the direction it went for probably a half mile. I don't see anything else. I didn't feel particularly creeped out, and I come upon – now, this wasn't there two weeks earlier. I'd been – on this trail, in this place, two weeks earlier, at eye level, in the middle of the trail, is a deer skull, perfectly clean and impaled on a branch. That's weird. That stopped me in my tracks. And now, I, I collect skulls, so to me, like, somebody said, oh, you know, was that a warning? Do you think that was a warning? Like, you know, not to me. To me, it was almost more like, Oh, you like that raccoon skull, did you? Well, here's one for you. You know, <laughs> that that's kind of what what I took from it. Huh. I wasn't, you know, I I gathered this thing up. I I took the skull home with me because you know, to me it was that was left there for me. Um, I did turn around at the skull. I didn't go further, but not because I was intimidated. I I was just so weirded out and like the whole thing was just so odd. And I'm looking around. I'm trying to figure out how this skull got there and could a person have put it there? Absolutely. But that means they had to have in the two weeks since I was there, either bring a clean deer skull or find a deer skull in the woods, bring it down and, and impale it on a branch in in the middle of the trail. You know, and you get to this like why and how kind of thing. Again, it's a really nasty trail. Nobody's hiking it for fun at that point. So I take it home and, and when it's not till I get home that I sit down and I think, what were you doing? Like if something was trying to lead you, you took the bait, you know, yeah. I, I mean, I, I took the bait and just went without even thinking it. And again, it wasn't bravery. I've, I've had other weird stuff in the woods, which has frozen me, you know, stiff, which probably shouldn't have, but I was so scared, you know, I, I couldn't move. Yeah. You don't think about it at the time. Yeah, there was there was no logical thought going into it. <laughs> I just was like, "Oh, I'm going that way," and and I followed that thing for a half mile. It's, you know, it easily could have set up any kind of ambush it wanted if if uh, that's what it had in mind. You could have been the next victim, Tim. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I, I yeah, I could be. Uh, as my daughter says, she uses it as a verb. I could have been missing four one one. Yep. <laughs> you uh, you also talk about in the book a lot of UFO sightings and also like black dogs and werewolves, yeah. which I yes. guess could be dog man. Let's talk about that a little bit too. 
Yeah, so the second half of the book, the first half of the book kind of tells the Toad Road story and, you know, corrects the the uh, the urban legends and so forth. And I, so I, for the second half of the book, I said, well, it's, I found so much weird stuff on Toad Road. Let me just look all around the area for, for other weird stuff and let me start collecting other weird stories. So then I just kind of went in the surrounding counties and, and, you know, picked up everything I could. I didn't do too many ghost stories because there's already, I don't know. I mean, you were at Gettysburg. There's like 9,000 ghost books already <laughs> for the area. So, I, you know, th- that gets pretty redundant. So I, I try to do stuff other than ghosts. And I found, uh, you know, like you said, I, uh, black dog reports, uh, sort of werewolf and dogman reports, you, you name it. So, like, where do you want to go? I'm really personally interested in the dogman stuff. I grew up in Michigan, so, like, that – that whole mythos in uh in like Michigan and Wisconsin is really huge, but I've never heard of it much um elsewhere, like you know, in the northeast or whatever. Well, Pennsylvania's supposedly re- really hot with the uh with the dog man right now. I will say this, there's one report um that uh, now I found uh it wasn't my I didn't take the report originally. I found it someone else reported so so I'm I'm reporting someone else's report of this dogman sighting mm-hmm. from Macho Forest in uh, Adams County State Forest. I reported in the book and I was approached by a woman who got the book and it was indeed her sighting and she was very angry. She said I I, I never said that was a dogman sighting. Uh, her, her mind, I don't think she ever saw uh, the creature, but she, I said, well, tell me, tell me what it was. And what she reports sounds for all the world like a, like a Bigfoot um, encounter. Uh, I forget the particulars of it, but uh, it was, uh, had to do with, a, you know, she had the smell, I think, and the, and the screams and, and so forth. And uh, I think heard wood knocks or something, but at no point did she ever say dog man. So she reported this to another researcher, and they they turned it into a dogman sighting. I believe this does happen, uh, especially now. I think dogman is kind of the the new hot cryptid. Yeah, it's, it's the you know the big scary now, scarier than Bigfoot. Um, so I I believe big, some Bigfoot sightings are getting turned into dogman sightings because of, you know he, he's a uh, meaner and scarier. So it's it's a. Uh, <laughs> so, so that definitely uh that was one of the the dogman reports um in the book which ended up like i said it it, it uh was not a a dogman after all the one of the stranger ones was a a woman i talked to now i don't know if this is uh specifically a dogman but she said uh her neighbor kept telling her uh she was waking up with um things in the room with her and uh, they were watching uh, uh, one of the mummy movies, uh, apparently, and there's uh, like Anubis creatures in it. Uh-huh. And she said, uh, you know, this is months and months of this woman telling her she's waking up with, with dogs in her room. And uh, she, these Anubis creatures, she's like, no, what's in my room when I wake up? Those are the dogs. So she's waking up with headed men in her room. What Not in the, the world? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, this lady gave me all kinds of strange stories from uh, the seven valleys area um really neat stuff but but that was the uh the one that was like whoa you know and uh, she reported i think sitting on the porch with her neighbors and hearing something they said something huge like coming through the trees and they kept hearing it coming and coming and coming but it never 
never broke through the tree line, but uh, that was the, the, the same people. See, waking up with stuff in the room, I mean, that reminds me of, well, alien abduction stuff and sleep paralysis and Yeah, and, and, and you'll that. get that. Like, I've, I've heard other dogman reports where people say, you know, will say it was in my house. And, like, you know, doors aren't broken down or, or anything like that. And that's just, I mean, it's so bizarre, you know. I, I think with dogman, well, first of all, even with Bigfoot, I don't think we're talking about right. a, a natural sort of ape in the woods kind of creature. There's something very unusual about the way it, it acts right. and the uh, sort of phenomenon that surround it. But even more so with dogman, like, these these things, I I don't think we're talking about, like, you know, a a natural sort of creature that, that, right. Uh, this isn't just some large unknown werewolf. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe that's part of it. Maybe they, you know, however they manifest, they can sometimes just manifest in people's houses. I, I mean, I think I would just like run out of the room at that point. Very, yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. The kind of like the, you know, you talk about that experience and then the book that the, the, that we talked about, um, having some kind of link to Egyptian stuff too. Mm-hmm. I wonder what the connection is with, if there is a connection to, to that, if any. Yeah. Well, that's the thing with, um, Egyptian secrets. And, uh, there's another powwow book called, um, I want to say secrets of gypsy magic or something. A lot of times they, they just use this as an, as something exotic. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They, they would, uh, so, so, you know, Egyptian would, would have been something exotic, in, you know, back in the 1800s or something. Right. So if it, was, if it was Egyptian secrets, you know, it's a woo, you know. So, but it is, yeah, it's very odd that there is a, a connection with that. And in fact, the woman, that same woman told me a story. She called me recently. She she keeps in regular touch. She's an older woman. I think she's probably in her, you know, late 60s. And she just calls me every now and then with weird stories. Like she'll call me and tell me about she told me a story about a guy getting raped by a ghost, a local guy. Um, <laughs> she, she just calls me out of, out of nowhere with, with weird stories. Like every, every like three to six months, I'll get a call from her. And uh, she just have this like catalog of, of weird stories she'll tell me, which, which I love. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm fine with that. Tim, what do you think but, is – oh, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, but uh, the, most recently she called me. And I mean like last week she called me and she told me a story of a little girl who started speaking in, in – uh, ancient egyptian or coptic like like from her church or something they you know of course they they thought the girl was possessed she's this like little six or seven year old girl who started speaking just out of nowhere starts speaking in uh ancient egyptian so there's another you know another connection there how did they know it was ancient egyptian i don't know i i assume someone recognized it as huh. that you know I well, mean, coptic's based in greek so maybe Someone yeah, was I mean, trained and knows it maybe a little my, bit. Yeah, yeah, my thought was maybe the minister might have had mm-hmm. some training in, in, in ancient languages. I don't know. What do you think is going on in this area? Uh, and the, the, the myths about it, the urban legends about the seven gates, is that linked to just the, just the, the strangeness of this area? Yeah, I, you know, but... Before I I started doing the podcast, I was kind of like I I bet I could find the same amount of weird stuff no matter where I lived. It's it's a matter of digging. Uh huh. But enough people like have told me with the podcast, 
you know, like, no, Pennsylvania's weird. Like you got some serious <laughs> weird stuff going on there. But now, now I'm like, well, maybe there is something, maybe there's, you know, and I, I'm not a geologist, but you know, I'll, I'll look at the, the geology of the place and there's, you know, there is limestone and quartz and I don't, you know, I don't know. I think people are grasping at straws, honestly, when they start, you know, going to that, like they're just looking for some kind of pseudo scientific answer. But if that does play into it, there is, you know, uh, quartz and limestone. We're on a huge vein of that. I don't know. You know, I, I, I can't say, but, uh, we have a long history of, of really weird stuff. And I think it was when I talked to you, you were talking about how like, uh, somebody mentioned that the, the Bigfoot reports just get weirder and weirder until you get to Pennsylvania where they get, you know, the, yeah. the further east you get. Yeah. The goblin yeah. universe stuff, which you mentioned in the book, the whole goblin universe concept. Yeah, yeah. That's the more than what we're dealing with. Like the in the Northwest, you could say, well, that could be an unknown primate. But as you get further east, it's just the weirder and weirder it gets. And actually, yeah. after we talked to you on that show, Rob and I did a whole thing about just some of the weirder accounts from the from from the east, like the uh, in Jerome Clark's book, uh, which is probably one of my favorite books of all time, where he just lists out. It's under the. Uh, his hairy bipeds section, which I still think would be an awesome band name, but <laughs> <laughs> good punk band name. But you know, it just gets weirder and weirder. Um, Luke actually has something that he told me that his grandmother told him that was really that I think you would find very interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, I talked about it on the show a uh, long time ago. Yeah, a long time ago, yeah. like maybe two years ago or something. More like but, four. Yeah. Uh, so my grandma came up here to hang out with my mom because she needed a caretaker. Uh, Where's here? In Tennessee. Yeah, in Nashville. Nashville. Uh, well, outside of Nashville yeah. in her case. But um, so uh, I, every time I went to go see my mom, you know, I would catch up with my grandma. We we have been apart, you know, my my entire life. She's been down there in Florida. I grew up here in Tennessee, um, and she she grew up in Florida too. Uh, was a, you know, as a young girl, uh, so she was telling me some stories when I was over there hanging out. And uh, one of the stories that she told, uh, her parents used to take them on trips you know, nature trips, uh, camping and stuff like that to get their, their kids, you know, my grandma familiar with the wild survival and stuff like that. Cause it was an important thing to teach back then. <clears throat> and, uh, so they're walking through uh part of the Everglades in Southern Florida. And she said that her, her mom and her dad encountered a, f- a two, um, like humanoid apes, uh, I guess you know she called them skunk apes, where which they were apparently are like some kind of species of red-haired ape that's been spotted or down there or something. I don't know. I don't know anything about the skunk ape, but um, she said that the that, that they were just really humanoid looking. You know, the the mother was cradling a baby, and she said there was a, a father figure nearby and they they saw him coming or they were actually she said that she they kind of ambushed him you know like walked up on him and they were surprised turned around and just looked him in the face for a second and where they and then they took off running 
<laughs> and that was in Florida. Yeah, in the Everglades. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And did it, your grandmother say that people knew that they were there and they just kind of left them alone? Um, well, like it was just kind of common knowledge or something like that. Well, that's that's why I mentioned this the whole skunk ape thing is because they just I guess they just figured you know well they're they're just a species of apes down here nothing out of the ordinary you know but what she what she told me the story she described them as being like extremely humanoid like she said that she she looked into the eye their eyes and she could see you know an intelligent thought looking back at her you know hmm. that sort of um they've always been here leave them alone kind of thing that seems to be more common in the south yeah yeah i've heard other people say that as well yeah and, what do you think about that story i i mean it sounds like so as I'm collecting these these Bigfoot stories throughout time, the similarity of the stories has become more interesting to me than the description of the creatures. And when I hear a story that sounds like, you know, 50 other stories I've heard, to me it's it's now just confirming like, yeah, of course. And and it's mm. it's not that it's not surprising, it's always surprising, it's always incredible when people see any of these things, but it's just sort of confirming to my thought that, that people really are seeing something. And, and so when I hear it, you know, that it's just like, yep. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I like totally, I, she saw it, you know, it's uh, the old reports that I'm collecting that it's the behavior of the creatures has become far more interesting to me to document than the, the appearance. Um, I think maybe, maybe people could, you know, make up a hairy monster, um, you know, maybe a Jungian thing, and maybe it's always there. We always have hairy monsters. You know, mm-hmm. any kid might come up with a hairy, a big hairy monster. But when people start reporting the behavior, and that the, these same behaviors through you know hundreds of years in these in these reports, the, the same behavior today, people are reporting that they report in you know the 1840s. That to me is is really really interesting, and that's that's what I've uh, really get excited about now with these stories. So. Um, it's not a you know it's not a super uncommon story, but to me it's it's uh, I love that because it's just you know it's like another one. So the, yeah, of course, someone else, you know another person saw a family, sure. And as you and uh, Joshua Cutchin were talking about on one of your later latest episodes of Strange Familiars, that you guys were talking about like some of the similarities between the fairy lore too, and that's that's a very common thing as well. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's there's so many similarities, you know, across the board that uh, with all this stuff that it, it's uh, it's irresponsible not to note them. <laughs> well, I wanted to ask you before you know we we end this part. Um, I wanted to ask you about this documentary that's on Netflix called Discovering Bigfoot. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Don't make me walk that tightrope. <laughs> Todd standing. And uh, I'd seen like Ren and a couple other people, you guys posted about this on the Where to the Road Go Slack. And uh, I watched it. I finally was able to get through it. And I mean, this guy is extremely enthusiastic. He's to say like, the least. <laughs> yeah. He's not a great. Uh, spokesman or editor you know what i mean like like he he should have an editor 
and then he should maybe have another another voiceover guy because his personality is um, right up there. It's right right up front there. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he was very much like a man of the paints himself as a very much a man of the of the wilderness in his ghillie yeah. in his ghillie suit, and he's got uh, Doctor Meldrum and what's that? Vinder Vindernagel is the other guy. Vindernagel, yeah. Who I think just passed away recently. He did, yeah. But rest in peace. But he, uh, but these guys, you know, they take it pretty seriously, and so does Todd Standing in his own way, I guess. But it, you had some like I think you were told me that there's some problems with his evidence. Uh, yeah, and putting it lightly. So, <laughs> so the, there's some people and and some some people I respect um, who have who have come out, you know, and, and said uh, they think his stuff is legit. Yeah. There are other people who have pointed out some some real problems with them. Um, you know, I, I'm not a video expert. I'm not a, a you know a, a primate you know uh, anatomy expert. My gut feeling is is when I look at what uh, people jokingly call his his Muppet, um, <laughs> which I mean it, it does look like it looks felt. It really it looks like a Muppet. <laughs> Uh, besides the way it, it, it looks, it and the the other, even the the uh, sort of creepy black face he has at the end, uh-huh. um, these are human face proportions, and that's what concerns me. The the a lot of the creature reports I've seen, they will talk about the the space, for instance, between the the nose and the upper lip being double that of human size. The nostrils being, you know, much wider than, than human nostrils. The eyes being much, much bigger than, than human eyes. So when you look at these and, and they have human proportions, it's like, well, you know, to me that's, that's like warning bells start going off. Now, of course, there are people who report that they just look like hairy people. You know, they look exactly like a person. He was just hairy. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be nice and, and I'm trying not to anger any of my friends who who, who stand behind his evidence, but um, – I, for me, you know, my gut feeling is, is he's another one of these researchers who probably did get some legitimate stuff and felt the pressure to keep producing. And, uh, and he has some legitimate stuff mixed with some, some not. And, but I, I mean, I think if you ask Ren, I think Ren feels that it's all, you know, bunk. Um, and others, people, other people feel it's all, it's all legit. I, I don't know, I, you know, and I go into these things more ready to believe, I think, than other people. Like I didn't, uh, Ren pointed out how, you know, convenient it was that he, the camera turned away before the thing grabbed the apple. I didn't have such a problem with that. Um, but, you know, when he points it out, I go, okay, yeah, I see. I guess there is that. But uh, you do see something grab an apple. I mean, <laughs> you know. That there is something there. The, the the one picture he has of the whatever it was below a tree right in the beginning, that was very interesting to me. Um, whatever it is that, that runs up the hill seems to run up pretty pretty agile, pretty quickly, and without much problem. But you know, I don't know. I can't. Yeah, that say. was interesting. That was. Yeah. But the 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 Muppet footage and the, and the blackface that 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 to me is like eh, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it, it's kind of very similar to Stan Romanek and his and his stuff with the aliens. 
So I it's still like, why do these? Yeah, it's like, why do these? Why do they have to do this? Why? You just <laughs> well, again, I think that's another part of this phenomenon. It happens so often where, and I'm not, I'm not saying Todd is or isn't, sure. you know, and and that he he has or hasn't faked anything, but it's been proved like so often in the past. These respected researchers, these respected Bigfoot guys, will end up being tied to some kind of hoax or or. Or if not a hoax, some kind of really shady uh, thing where they're you know they're they're leading people off into the woods for money and 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 not delivering and you know keeping people's money. There was a a researcher down in Texas that got into a bunch of trouble because um, he was booking you know Bigfoot tours for people and and it ended up keeping a bunch of people's money and not delivering on the tours and stuff. So there's this weird like hoaxy shady aspect that 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 comes into all this that that like might be a part of it. I mean, I think, I think Jeff Ritzman has talked about that in the past too, that this like, this like weird, like kind of skeevy hoaxy thing kind of mm-hmm. like works its way into the, the whole phenomenon. Mm-hmm. In, yeah. Any of this stuff, whether it be the UFOs, alien stuff, Bigfoot. Yeah. And it's really weird. And, and, and like that's, it muddies the biggest, water. It's probably my biggest concern being involved in this is like, one day, am I going to be turned like to the dark side? Am I gonna, you know, like, I'll be out in the woods with like holding a fucking muppet. Or excuse my language. Like you know, I'm marked. Rob's going to get his little book out. Don't worry about it. <laughs> oh man. Well, Tim, uh, tell people where they can get the book, and also please tell everybody about your podcast, Strange Familiars, which is becoming one of my favorites to listen to now. The books are available either directly from me, and you can find my information at uh, strangefamiliars.com, or or uh, you can just, if you look up Timothy Renner, I should pop up at any number of places online. Um, the books are also available at Amazon. And uh, I'm perfectly okay if people want to get them off of Amazon. Their split for independent authors is very fair. Um, but if you want to get them from me, I can do signed copies. I can do personalized. I can put little little Bigfoot sketches in them. Whatever you want. <laughs> Either way, that's good. My podcast is Strange Familiars. It's at strangefamiliars.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. And uh, we do the paranormal thing. We do a combination of interviews and folklore and uh try to get on site wherever we can we do a lot of on-site recordings and uh we try to uh make the experience uh part of the story and make the story uh uh tell stories through experience as well whether it's witness interviews or, or like i said us getting out on location yeah it's very good i highly recommend it well thank you tim uh for being on it's been excellent to go beyond the seventh gate with you so awesome uh, <laughs> thanks for having me anytime all right, stay stay on the line for us. We're going to close this section out, and guys, we'll be back on Conspiracy Normal. So no one's made it to the seventh gate of hell.
No one's made it to the. I even gate I Google it and like the, even in the urban legend, like nobody makes it past the fifth gate. It's no. like, well, how do you know? How do you know there's seven? I don't think you can make it past the fifth gate. And why are they trying to get to hell? Or maybe the there's, ninth. I gate. think there's easier ways <laughs> to get to hell. That's the thing with that's what I said, man. I was like, what? Why would you want to like go to the hell? Like, what's? Well, maybe Luke would. He probably thinks it's metal. But yeah, hell's probably pretty brutal. <laughs> it's pretty brutal in hell, visit, dude. I want to visit, but I don't want to get stuck for eternity. <laughs> well, that's where you're bound anyway, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. If you listen to metal, that's what happens, dude. <laughs> so, Rob, you're the crypto guy of this group. What did you think of that? Um. Well, was, I mean, it was a little less less uh, less crypto than than most of the stuff we've done with Timothy, but um, yeah. Uh, still interesting stuff. Like, I mean, I love the whole, like the, like I said, the, you know, the seven legend stuff and there's like there's different legends surrounding that, that particular legend, which I was reading during the break, which are pretty cool. Um, we got into the, the dog man stuff, which I even, you know, I told Tim that that's always fascinated me. Cause that's kind of a, it's mostly, you hear a lot of that stuff around Michigan and Wisconsin. I never heard that associated with the, the Northeast, but apparently it's gaining a lot of steam up there. Yeah. He seems to think that it's just popular because it's popular yeah it's become kind of a it's become kind of a nationwide thing now <clears throat> really yeah i think it's kind of interesting because like well like the wisconsin thing i think you think about linda godfrey and her book the beast of Bray road right which she's talking about that maybe 10 15 years ago now i think that book was written sometime in the middle of 2000s but and then it's kind of spread all over the country I don't know. I think it's kind of urban legendary itself in a way. Sure. And it, I, it could I have think, that same effect as like Slender Man where people hear about it and then start seeing it. Well, and like Tim know? said, it's just kind of a, it's like a step up. It's like the scarier version of Bigfoot. You know, it's, of course that would be popular, but. Right. And speaking of Slender Man, Nick Redfern has a book coming out about Slender Man. Really? Which we're going to have to get him on about. Absolutely. It's going to be interesting. What hasn't he written about? I don't know. <laughs> there can't be much left. I don't. Has he done a cookbook? He might have. <laughs> he might have done a cookbook or something. It's possible. I guess. Hey, if you're a stoner, you could come up with some pretty good cooking ideas. I'm sure you can. <clears throat> yeah. Tell us one of your cooking ideas. What did you come up with one time, Luke? Oh man. Oh, oh dude. Well, like you know, my style of cooking is like bachelor cooking. So. <laughs> 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 Basically, you, you get your Easy Bake oven and <laughs> McQueasy Bake, man. I'm, I'm a guy, bake. okay. Easy Bakes for girls, all right. But like, you you open the fridge door and you see what you have available to you, and then start thinking about the flavor combinations that you can make from what you have. Sure, I've been there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's like mayonnaise on a tortilla. You know, <laughs> mm, yub. and you got some spices left, right? You got some like you got some cayenne, or you got some turmeric, or some random shit in your cabinet. You know, <laughs> yeah. just start throwing it together, man. See what happens. Pickles and cheese sandwich. It gets pretty interesting over there at Luke's house. <laughs> <laughs> you, did, you never know. Did you enjoy your uh, your your brogle and your imperium? Man, I'm six brogles and one imperium in. <laughs> So what are you going to get from Taco Bell that doesn't have cheese? That's my question. Well, the the uh, beauty of Taco Bell 
and something that they don't. We're not an advertiser for Taco Bell. (laughs) (laughs) Taco Rella. They don't explain things well. Their menu sucks. Like they, they don't tell people what they have and what they don't have and what options you can get. I guess they want you to download the app, right? But uh, everything is customizable. So you just you, you get your favorite menu item. It don't you don't get it fresco because it's gonna cost a lot more and all you get is tomatoes. You know, like they take things away. But he's really tomatoes. thought about this. Like, yeah. really has put in a lot of That's thought. That's why about I asked. This. I knew yeah. that he was the expert. You, they, you order something fresco, which is like the the dietary thing to do, and they add tomatoes. They take things away and then charge you like twice as much. So all you have to do is just say like, "I want a shredded chicken burrito, but minus this, this, and this." You know, to to take off the cheese and. The sauce, if you want to cut that too, and then it's it's a lot cheaper, you know, and it's dietary too. Well, you know, not to the extreme or anything. But and the, and the person <laughs> at the counter just like rolls their eyes at you the whole time. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, I've seen a lot of fat people working at Taco Bell too. So who's the who's the the thin <laughs> one? Who's the thin, sexy one? Okay, <laughs> obviously you, Luke. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Well, this this discussion got completely derailed. But that's always, why we love you, will. Luke. That's why we love having you it here. It always will, man. <laughs> For sure. But the, see, the beauty in life is that things like Taco Bell can can be symbolic for a lot of different things happening in your life, man. It's multi-dimensional. It's multi-level. Right. Taco yeah. Bell is just a metaphor. Ah, <laughs> oh, yeah. But the multi-dimensional, there you go. That fits right in with the spirit normal. See? For sure. Well, we just did a Patreon episode with Tim, and I think we missed a Patreon for January, but we're going to have one definitely for February. We talked about Bigfoot, our Bigfoot the Nephilim, and I think the answer was no. But if you want more detail, you can go to Patreon. And PSA time, Rob, tell everybody where they can find our Patreon. All righty. In the arms of For less than a cup of a coffee a day, fly away you could support your favorite podcast too. In the for less than what you would normally spend on gas for one trip, one trip to the grocery store, you could help us bring on better guests, help us grow the show. At patreon.com slash conspiranormal, you can do all these things and more. There's various tiers. We have bonus episodes, t-shirts, wallpapers, and if you don't want to do that, you can do a one-time donation at our website, conspiranormal.com. Thank you. I'm Sarah McLaughlin. (laughs) Sarah McRoblin. (laughs) Thank you. All right. Um, That was beautiful. I'm I'm absolutely overcome. (laughs) Yeah, me too, dude. Emotion just washed know, over me. So I, got <laughs> I got tears in my eyes. <laughs> we should have like a little mascot of like a cat in a cage. <laughs> Look oh, at all poor sad. animals. Oh, man. There goes all your sensitive folk. It just reminds me so much. Okay. Well, thank you guys for listening to Paranormal. 200th episode is coming up and uh, we've got that all planned and hoping to have a good time. Got a good little panel 
and we'll have Luke with us too. Drunk Luke. Drunk Luke. <laughs> maybe you'll get maybe he'll sing some more for you on that one. Oh, there'll definitely be some some kind of karaoke tacked on the end. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. Yeah, we gotta do that for sure. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening to Conspiracy Normal. And we will be back next time on Conspiranormal! Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.